Alduha Leon is 24 years old. He grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, and when he finished high school, he headed off to Savannah State University to study marine science. I knew I, I knew I wanted to graduate because I wanted to be the first in my um, family to graduate. Since Alduha was a first-generation college student from a low-income family, he got the maximum Pell Grant from the federal government. That was between five and six thousand dollars a year. Even with the Pell Grant, he needed a job. I worked at the airport, night shift at the airport, so roughly around like 7.30 to 1 o'clock. But he still had to take out loans, and after three years, they totaled more than $20,000. Stressing out with being broke, like not having money, and just like doing the whole school, man, it was so stressful. The idea of borrowing more money to finish his last two years of school felt overwhelming. If I don't have to be in debt, I would, I won't. Like, I just... Rather go do something else. So Alduha dropped out. He joined thousands of Georgia students and a growing number of students around the country who are unable to pay or justify paying for the cost of college. From APM Reports, this is Educate, a podcast in collaboration with the Heckinger Report. I'm Stephen Smith. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk about why more scholarship money is going to students who need it less. Then we'll go to Alduha's home state of Georgia where more than half a billion dollars of scholarship money is going unused. Our partners at the Heckinger Report recently wrote about the costs to students and to society when people leave college with debt but no degree. So it's about 28% of Americans who took on debt don't actually graduate from the, the program that they enrolled in with those loans. So we're looking at just shy of a third of Americans taking on debt and not getting a degree. And my name's Sarah Butramovich. I'm the senior editor of investigations at the Heckinger Report. Sarah and her colleague Meredith Kolodner. I'm a reporter at the Heckinger Report. Wrote about the growing number of people in the U.S. with student debt and no degree to show for it. There are people dropping out of schools with debt across the board, um, public, private, two-year, four-year, less than two-year. Um, so every you know, sector is affected by this. And what does the research show us about why they leave before getting a degree? So there's been studies that show that it's primarily for financial reasons that students drop out. So whether that's just that they feel like tuition is too expensive and that they can't pay it or that they can't get um, – that they, they can't make their work schedule work with their class schedule and they need to work in order to get uh, enough money to, to pay for their degree. So those are kind of similar, but two separate reasons that are the most common reason. Um, and there is, you know, a, a recent study done that showed that working more than 25 hours a week um, gets in the way of passing classes. And so that can lead to dropouts as well. Wow. Well, students can get federal government loans and grants if they qualify. But as you know, these often aren't enough. What about state support? Is there more or less in-state support nowadays for people going to college? It used to be that there was much more need-based aid available than merit-based aid, but those numbers have reversed. And now most states have more merit-based aid than they do need-based aid available for students. In fact, some states, almost a dozen of them, actually run out of their need-based aid so that you end up with tens of thousands of students who are eligible for need-based aid, that means low-income students, but there's just not enough money left over that year, so they have to try again the following year. What's behind the trend? Why would they shift from need-based to merit-based? I think that there's been a shift in some state legislatures where they believe that 
Um, in some ways, need-based aid is charity, and merit-based aid goes to the deserving students. And the problem there is how you decide who's meritorious, um, who's deserving of that merit-based aid. If you end up using things like SAT scores for that, it's going to skew away from low-income and students of color and more towards middle-income and white students who tend to have better preparation for those exams. Let's talk about how this is playing out in Georgia. Why did you choose to focus on Georgia in reporting on this issue? So there's a few reasons that we looked at Georgia. Um, One of the things that really piqued our interest about the state is that it's one of two, uh, along with New Hampshire, that doesn't provide any need-based aid on a a statewide level. So although they have their pretty well-known merit-based scholarship, the HOPE scholarship, um, there's no need-based aid program. The university system in Georgia actually has an interesting law that I haven't run into in other states where individual universities are not allowed to use tuition dollars to pay for scholarships for individual students because in Georgia they consider it to be a gift that is charity in some way that's only benefiting that individual student and not the entire student population. Some people we spoke to felt like that was pretty short-sighted because if you do benefit low-income communities and families, um, their argument is that um, with tax dollars and just in terms of putting money back into low-income communities, um, that could lift all boats. But if you look at what's been happening in this country, um, it's not that low-income students are just getting away with murder and going to college for free. One of the things that has also happened in Georgia and has happened in a lot of places is that the amount of money going to the public university system was really dramatically cut during the recession, um, and it still really hasn't climbed back to pre-recession levels. And so these schools are, are trying to make do with less money than they would like. Georgia also has had some of the fastest tuition increases since the recession of um, all of the states at their public universities. And so although the overall cost there of tuition is still relatively low compared to other places in the country, it's risen quite sharply, and especially with fees. Since the recession began, um, the cost of attending school, including living expenses, has gone up 77%. In Georgia, so families there are under a strain that they they weren't under a decade ago. On behalf of everyone here at the Georgia Lottery Corporation, I would like to say thank you to our players. Our success, because of you, is incredible. The Hope Scholarship is funded with profits from the Georgia Lottery. On average, we raise $3 million for Hope and Pre-K every day. More than $17.8 billion has been raised since the lottery's inception. You discovered that the scholarship, this HOPE scholarship in Georgia, has a surplus of almost half a billion dollars um, that's going untouched. Why is that? That's an excellent question. That's something we were trying to figure out. Um, So what happened was in 2011, the HOPE scholarship almost ran out of funding or it was looking like it would run out of funding within the next few years um, because more and more students were going to college and using it, which, you know, was the intended purpose. Um, But... Because of the recession, fewer people were buying lottery tickets, and it was looking like there was going to be a shortfall. A new report says if changes are not made, the HOPE scholarship will run out of money by the year 2028. 
Channel 2's Dave Huddleston is live in Midtown Atlanta. He talked with parents who are concerned about whether the state can keep hope alive. So they sort of redid the scholarship and, and cut off how much money it gave out. It no longer paid for full tuition and fees for students. Um, it only paid for a portion of tuition. And when they redid the law, they also changed the amount of money that had to be put into a reserve fund. So for some reason, they not only have been putting the legally mandated amount into a reserve fund, they've been adding additional money every year. Um, this is an unrestricted reserve fund that could be used by the governor at any time for the HOPE scholarship or for early education for pre-K. It could also go to that. The governor and several members, uh, Republican members of the legislator t legislature, told us that they you know, thought it was good to have more money in the reserve for a rainy day, but other people have questioned whether or not that's too much, especially when you already have the amount that's legally mandated. One gubernatorial candidate in Georgia says that when people there buy a lottery ticket, they expect their money to be spent on education and scholarships. She says if the state spent $21 million of the extra money they saved each year, they could make tuition at technical colleges free. And that's about one-third of the amount that's been added to the reserve on average. So she's really been pushing to pull from this money to at least make technical college free. The HOPE scholarship is funded with profits from the lottery, and poor folks tend to be the people buying most of the lottery tickets. Is HOPE a scholarship going mostly now to middle- and upper-income students funded by low-income Georgians? There's a Georgia policy group that looked at the zip codes where people were buying lottery tickets, and they are disproportionately low-income zip codes. Um, and so there are some people who feel like the lottery program that is in Georgia is a sort of a transfer of wealth program where it's not that only low-income people buy lottery tickets and it's not that only wealthy people use the HOPE scholarship, but disproportionately more lower-income Georgians are buying the lottery tickets and disproportionately more upper-income Georgians get the HOPE scholarship. What did students tell you about the meaning, the importance of the HOPE scholarship to their academic careers and ultimately, I suppose, their professional lives? I mean, so many students rely on HOPE in Georgia. It's pretty amazing. You'll have some of the colleges, actually the more elite colleges, you'll have 80 percent, um, 85 percent in one case of students who begin college uh, with the HOPE scholarship. Um, so it's, it's extraordinarily important to families there and to affordability. That being said, I, I certainly spoke with students that where um, the HOPE scholarship, even in spite of it, they ended up uh, with debt but no degree. More than a third of students lose their HOPE scholarship during their college career because you have to maintain a 3.0 um, GPA. So even if you start with HOPE, you, um, you can lose it. And there are some students who will say that the loss of HOPE um, forced them either to take time off or to drop out altogether uh, because it does cover still, I think, two-thirds of tuition, which is a huge loss if you suddenly lose that. You suddenly have to pay that much more money um, your third year of college and you weren't expecting to. Um, but I did also speak with some students who they got the HOPE scholarship. Uh, one student in particular, she actually enrolled in a college that was, it was a local regional college where the tuition is less than um, the research universities. So she picked a less expensive college. She 
had the HOPE scholarship. She was eligible for the federal um, Pell Grant aid, um, and she still had to take out loans. And even though she was working 20 hours a week, she still couldn't make ends meet. And so she had to drop out. Then she went back for a year, and she dropped out again. Um, so it's taking her a long time to get through college. And um, in the meantime, she's racking up debt. Talk about work as a factor in all of this. Um, with the students that you spoke to who had dropped out because of debt, were most of them also working while they were in college? And what kind of factor was that in terms of their ability to to get all their work done? A lot of them were working. Um, and it did play a pretty big role, especially since they were largely working off-campus jobs. For instance, I, I talked to two students at Savannah State University who worked at the Savannah Airport. Was that Alduha Leon? Yes, it was. They worked loading and unloading luggage um, from planes, and their hours were really not conducive to staying in school and doing well in school. They would do overnight shifts. They would do shifts that ended at 2 a.m. And I was making like $8, $8 an hour for doing that. The way the airport was set up, they was big on getting college students because they knew, you know what I'm saying, we would take the $8 because we just needed um, money. But $8... You do the math, $8 an hour. Um, so I would work like uh, 19 hours a week. I was so drained the first week I worked at the airport. Like, you kind of have to get accustomed to the fumes and the, the jet fuel and stuff. So, like, once you're once you accustomed to it, then you're good. But the first week, it made me so drowsy working out there. I had got sick the first week, and I was, like, out for a week. So being that I first just got the job, and I was, like, out for a week, at the job and out for a week of school, that was kind of hard. But after that, I was pretty much accustomed to it. And what are the long-term impacts uh, on a student who has this kind of debt but doesn't get a degree? So we kind of found that most students that had dropped out with debt fell into one of two camps. Um, Either they had started their own business and some of them had done so successfully, um, or they were working a hourly wage job, you know, maybe earning a little bit more than minimum wage. Um, and we we talked to one expert who I think pretty aptly described it as being in purgatory. Um, you're kind of trapped in this vicious cycle of you have a large debt, so you need to earn more money to pay that off than if you didn't have the debt. Um, but you don't actually have the degree to get a job that will pay you more money. Um, So you're kind of just trapped, and that leads to not that many options. Of the students you talked with, did it sound like many of them who had to stop going to school because of the finance problem, did they plan to go back to college one day, or are they just sort of um, stuck in that purgatory? Yeah, I mean, the, the students that I spoke to, they all wanted to go back. I think the question was, how would they make that happen? If I could go back to school for free, you, I would finish it, like, easily. Like, I'll find a way to make a few extra bucks, like, you know what I'm saying? But it's still a mindset, like, I won't be in debt at the end of this all, at the end of this journey. I'll do her, Leon, the former student we heard from earlier, was just shy of the GPA needed to receive any Hope Scholarship money. It was difficult to explain to his parents why he needed to drop out. They still hope he'll go back and finish his degree one day. My dad, my dad hated it. Being that nobody ever graduated 
college, and I was the first one to actually go. Um, he was just like, yeah. He talked to me, every, I swear, like, every at least once a month. He like, yeah, man, you need to just go to school part-time. Even if you take one or two classes, just do it. So even if you're done in the next three years, you'll be done with school. Like, every single month, he'd tell me to go back to school at least once a month. You know, I think it's simplistic to say, oh, it's all about money, but finances infects every decision that you make and uh, where you have to work and how much you have to work and what kind of um, outside help you can get and your parents' support financially um, all plays a role in how comfortable and your sense of belonging and confidence that you can and deserve to make it through college. Meredith and Sarah, thank you so much. Thank you. We've been talking with Sarah Butramovich and Meredith Kolodner from The Heckinger Report. We'll have a link to their series, Debt Without Degree, on our website, educatepodcast.org. That's it for this episode. We'd really like to hear your thoughts and feedback. How did this podcast make you think about college loan debt and the students who are dropping out because of it? Let us know. We're on Twitter and Facebook at Educate Podcast, or you can send us a note to contact at apmreports.org. We'll be back in two weeks to talk about the growing number of colleges offering money-back guarantees in order to share in their students' debt burden. Alex Bumhart and Chris Julian produced the podcast. Catherine Winter is our editor and Emily Hanford, our senior producer. We partner with The Heckinger Report, a nonprofit independent news organization focused on inequality and innovation in education. Support for APM Reports comes from Lumina Foundation and the Spencer Foundation. I'm Stephen Smith. Thanks for listening. This is APM.